Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Love Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome, everyone, to Live Dharma Sunday, <coughs> excuse me, for March 3rd, 2019. Koyo Kubosa here, so very, very glad you joined us for Sunday in March. Spring is right around the corner here out in, uh, on the West Coast. <coughs> uh, we already have nice weather and uh, highs in the 60s and lows in the 50s. Um, and uh, I'm just, I just mentioned that, not to compare it to other places that haven't gotten warmed up yet, but <clears throat> I'm starting to go out into the garden and preparing everything uh, after our short winter sleep in the garden. And <clears throat> I noticed how nice it is to be able to work outside. Um, <clears throat> and I... Uh, I was thinking about composting recently. Um, just the miracle, the marvel of you throw in uh, all this uh, uh, kitchen scraps and uh, leaves, and uh, <clears throat> you know we wake up all our autumn leaves and we I put them in big plastic bags and I put it next to the compost and. Then when I put in kitchen scraps and things like that, then I cover it up with the with the leaves. And um, of course, kitchen scraps when you put it in, it's all yucky stuff. <laughs> and uh, and then leaves are leaves, and and then after so many a period of time, you know, there's composting means. Microorganisms are uh, working on these materials, and it turns into compost. You know? 
really nice, crumbly dirt, earth, soil. And it's full of good microorganisms and, you know, and all kind of organic materials. It's it's really, nature is amazing there. And um, worms come in there and, you know, to a gardener, worms are a you know, good sign, okay? Soil is rich and, uh, and uh, they say that in a, well, when you're talking about microorganisms, uh, there might be, what, I'll say a zillion, you know, um, microorganisms, you can't see them, okay? But uh, they exist, and they're, they're, they're feeding, they're working. Biochemical processes are taking place, okay? All invisible to the human eye. And um, this kind of reminded me of whenever you look at anything, any physical matter, you know it's, we know now because of science that uh, it's composed of molecules and then atoms and, you know. uh, And when you look at an atom, you know it's composed of a, a nucleus, that have protons and neutrons in there and then has electrons revolving around it like the planets go around the sun. These electrons have orbits and they're moving. So this means that when you look at a rock or any physical material, it's full of activity. And isn't that what... uh, One of the major teachings in Buddhism about uh, not only interdependency, but uh, constant change. Okay? Impermanence means constant change. Something doesn't stay static and still. It's always changing. So that means movement. Okay? Uh, you, you look at, uh, say, uh, I'm patting the table. It's made out of wood. And even though it's hard to my fingers, it's alive and moving in there. If uh, if aliveness, if movement means aliveness, okay, all those electrons are, okay, moving around in orbits in there. This is uh, so, well, counterintuitive in a way, you know. But to know that this is the, that physics tells us this is the reality of physical matter and what makes it up. And there are, there are smaller things than electrons. We know that there are quarks and whatever the <laughs> uh, particle f- physics tells us, the mesons and neutrinos and what, you know. Uh, and I think that it's always an open book in terms of how small you can find them. How, what is the smallest particle? Okay. Oh, they thought the atom was it. Then they thought the electron was it. Then they thought that the, you know, the quark was it. Now they're onto mesons or boosons or whatever. So maybe just like outer space, if you could keep going, it's infinite. Maybe you go inner space. How can it be infinite? Well, 
There's such a thing as something being so small you can't even measure it. Okay. Now, I suppose that means that something that has some doesn't have any, hardly any mass, uh, but has energy, and then you have the the interaction between energy and matter. You know, E, e equals m c squared. Okay, famous Einstein formula. And so uh, we have this energy in the universe at the very core of it. Yeah. So my point is then, you know, if we have this perspective of all this very dynamic action, okay, all around us, this perspective of what the world is, what the universe is, okay, when we look around us, everything, okay, uh, is dynamically changing, active, moving, in a sense, alive. This makes us, makes us how it impacts our well perspective. Okay. Well, like in Japanese, takkan, wide perspective, philosophical perspective. Okay. And our and can we live with this sort of constant change? Because there's a certain element of uncertainty there or ambiguity there. And sometimes our scientific side says, oh, you know, they want to uh, uh, pin all those things down into the laws, physical laws of nature. But, you know, there's a kind of like a mystery there if you just can, can keep going, keep going in terms of how we, as our conscious minds, try to understand, you know, the world around us, uh, uh, well, I'll leave it up to you. To how, do, how does that kind of perspective that's full of ambiguity and uncertainty and very dynamic, how do we, how do we live a stable life? You know? And uh, Buddhism and the laws of physics okay, pretty much overlap in terms of this kind of constant change aspect. And then we think, oh, I'm changing too. We can't help but think of ourselves as an entity, but we know that the basic Buddhist teaching is no. Even what we call the self is constantly changing on all levels, even the physical level, of course. Okay? Cells dying, cells being created in our body. Okay? And, of course, the psychological, sociological influences on our conscious mind is dynamic, constantly changing. Wow, how, what happens when you, you realize all these things, okay, by takkan, by wide perspective, even though it doesn't, you don't necessarily experience it like an everyday thing, okay? But when you know that's behind all your daily activities, does it sort of inform or influence your daily activities? And if it does, how so? <laughs> anyway, I'm getting carried away with all this metaphysics. <laughs> but uh, get back to composting. There you go. Something right there. Okay. Well, I want to introduce today's guest to give us a Dharma glimpse. She's live with us from Pennsylvania. She's part of our LM10 group, Ginny Gaio. So it's all yours. Hi, everybody. 
my outside work and moving work is still shoveling snow, so it's a nice contrast across the country. But I'm really happy to kick off National Her Story Month today with our Dharma Glimpse. It's a little bit of uh, thinking about the past and the present. I get, I'm a member of a, an interfaith dialogue group that once a month gives talks at Lebanon Valley College, uh, a small liberal arts college here in Pennsylvania, and the dialogues bring in uh, representatives from many different uh, faith traditions to talk about a particular question each month before about 50, 60 people from the community and from the university come in each time to have lunch and to listen to what we all have to say and then have a big discussion afterwards. And the question for this month was, what in your faith tradition are you especially proud of from the past or the present? And what from your faith tradition are you ashamed of? Oh, well, something to think about, right? So uh, I thought about it, and I've been looking a lot and thinking a lot about our, our, our tradition, our heritage, our uh, different aspects of the Buddhist lineage. And I feel at the moment that the Buddha is said to have given his first talk was so important and wonderful. It's his very first uh, talk. It set out the basic teachings. Everyone's life is full of unease and of suffering, and that is natural as things are by nature impermanent, and we're always craving something, but there is a way uh, to do away with suffering, and the early Buddhist teachings deal with exactly that. They are ways to help you and help anyone, everyone, to deal with difficulties in life. And they can help us all, of all the great faith traditions, uh, excuse me, my cat just walked across my notes, they can help us to ask and to uh, find with loving the things that all great faith traditions are, are helping us, want us to, to, to be, to live with loving kindness and peace and joy. And the oldest recorded Buddhist teaching established the foundation of what we call mindfulness, stress reduction, living in the now, gratitude practice, analytical self-examination, compassion practice, cognitive behavioral therapy, and visualization training. One doesn't have to be a Buddhist to use any of these healing, helping methods. And I see the, these teachings as the Buddhist gift to everyone from the very first moments. So I thought, well, that's cool. That's something I'm, I'm really, really proud of if I think about all the amazing Buddhist things. Uh, but the first years of Buddhism also have what is usually labeled as seen as a distressing event, or at least it started out that way. The Buddhist stepmother and many of her friends asked to join the Buddhist historical revolutionary monastic living community. But they were told, no, nah, it's just for men, sorry, and that was the Buddha himself telling them that. Bad, right? Hmm, not so proud of that moment. But here's some good news. They did what is the first women's march for equal rights. The women walked from where they lived many, many miles to where the Buddha and the monks were staying for the rainy season. And remember, this is rural India. No paved highways, no, uh, no hitchhiking, just walking and walking and walking. Then the Buddha's assistant, Ananda, pleaded their cause, and they were allowed to join. This is truly a revolutionary moment for the place, culture, and time. And uh, the women were very active in the monastic community and in the lay community too. Too, They're a vital part of the writings, both as lay and as nuns. And this heritage is finally being discovered, rediscovered, and honored now. 
and there are lots of women Buddhist heroes from the very first year, just as the we've seen. And Queen Mai, of course, the Buddha's mother, is is prime actor in the early story. And Mahaprajapati, his stepmother, who led the women's march, and I'll call it the women's march. I think that's neat. Maybe we can all wear Mahaprajapati t-shirts now too. And uh, Kisugutami is a famous uh, story of uh, the mustard seed. Many of you have probably heard that from the earliest sutras. That was she was one of the early Buddhist community members. And Queen Vaidehi is a foundational hero in the Pure Land and Shin Buddhism. As Shinny Shinran's wife. Roinen uh, Rengetsu, the great calligrapher, poet, uh, potter, and uh, Ruth Tabra today. There's so many, many women in the Buddhist tradition, and we don't perhaps often hear of them, but as I say, more and more now. Uh, I think I, I just love to, to tell their stories and read about their stories. And the neat thing, we're living and writing and telling our own stories now and making our own history. I think that's so exciting and so wonderful. Uh, so is it his story, her story? No, it's really, it's our story, both and. And thanks for letting me talk to you today a little bit about it. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Well, uh, so interesting, isn't it, to when, you know, when you, when you do interfaith, dialogue um, you learn a lot about your own religion because a lot of times when you're right in it you don't you know look at it from other perspectives and when you see how other religions view Buddhism or you can compare and contrast their approaches to your own it really uh, it's it's educational and it's kind of kind of uh, empowering I guess or, or a positive thing in the sense of uh, you, you get a hold of who you are as a Buddhist and so forth. Okay, I think any person of any religion can have that kind of educational experience. Okay, if you have the right attitude about interfaith dialogue, of course. Uh, and of course, nowadays on the general topic of interfaith, I remember. Uh, Decades ago, when the the word interfaith was used, it meant uh, Christians, Catholics, and Jews. Uh, and now, of course, it goes from Baha'i all the way down to Zoroastrians, and okay, it includes Native Americans, okay, Sikhs, and uh, Jains, and Hinduism, and you know, uh, real interfaith. And we could learn a lot from that kind of dialogue. Um, the other topic I was thinking about that I got reminded of by the glimpse was that um, uh, when, well, being proud of something, being ashamed of something, <laughs> that's pretty intriguing. And, uh, <clears throat> well, sometimes you have Buddhism, then you got Buddhists. The distinction between the teachings of the, the religious teachings and then when they're translated into everyday life, that means you're talking about people living those teachings. And when you have people, <laughs> the problem, I think, doesn't come from how the, the 
conceptual or intellectual aspects of the teachings themselves, but the problems come in when you have people. And of course, I'm not saying you can't have people, because of course you can have people. That's what we're talking about, human life. Okay. And when you talk about people, it means not just an individual, how they experience it, but in a sangha, the groups of people. We're social animals. Okay. Uh, social issues, interpersonal uh Dynamics, okay? So we could call this sort of like, you know, there's all kind of social issues, of course, right? As was mentioned, gender and these kind of things. Uh, we could put that all under the social, okay? Versus the religious. Now, supposing, put this in a very concrete context. You get a new minister, okay? He's young. He's assigned to a congregation. And, of course, he's uh, very interested in talking about the Dharma, okay, this is the religious aspect, how to grow, how to encourage the growth, and how for himself to grow spiritually, religiously, this is what he's, he's, he's all about, okay, uh, and what a temple is supposed to encourage in their congregation, right, but because people, the congregation means people, there's a lot of social aspects, realities that happen. And sometimes they conflict the religious aspects. And the minister then has to deal with these two aspects, the social versus the religious, in terms of, you know, what's, what's going on. And a lot of them might get turned off, even to their, <laughs> to their ministry, because there's so much controversy and friction on the social levels. He says, gee, I thought I wanted to deal with all these religious aspects and how to encourage that. But now I got to deal with just these social, all these social aspects. It's too much. So he was too idealistic, you see. And I remember hearing a Buddhist minister uh, counseling or advising a newcomer to the ministry. You shouldn't be too idealistic. Idealistic means you thought there was going to be your religious activities and that the social issues and all that stuff was supposed to be zero. <laughs> That's pretty unrealistic. They're both going to exist. And <clears throat> so if you know that they you prepared, you inoculated yourself or immunized yourself that, hey, both of these aspects are there. Because you got the Dharma and then you got the Sangha. And, you, you, you know, don't hurt yourself by thinking, you know, idealistically, one was supposed to not exist. That's impossible. Now, he says, let's say, and he, use, he was using his hand to how, how tall the social issues were, how, how high they were, okay? and then how high is the religious activities. Now, he says, that the social issues, the social aspect could be about this high. And he puts his palm that much. You know, it's quite a bit from the baseline of nothing. There's a lot of social issues and everything. But as long as, then you go to the next column, the religious one, as long as that's higher, piled up higher than the social. Okay. If it's the other way around, then maybe indeed 
uh, not from any idealistic standpoint, but hey, if if the social stuff hinders and dominates the religious, then you know maybe you have to leave the field. But you leave the field not because there's some disruption on the social side. Okay? As long as you keep the religious side higher, so that you can do your activity, you're not prevented. Huh? So it <laughs> reminds me of a really neat saying that I, I always remember. Uh, don't forget what's truly important just because you have to deal with the merely urgent. And, uh, you know, if you look at temples, if you, even if you look at the Zen monasteries, you know, you, you got a lot of social stuff in there. You got cultural, social things that are, could be quite distracting from an individual's dharma work and growth. Uh, there's positive and negative aspects, okay? And we need that kind of perspective to not victimize ourselves. Hey, hey, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, yeah, keep going, and you have a beautiful day. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.